Our scripture passage for today is James chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 13. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Hi again, New Hope. It's great to see all of you this afternoon. I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we dive into these words that Theo just read to us. Let's pray. God, our Father, we... What can we do but thank you and praise you for the great love with which you've loved us? And Lord Jesus, what can we do but praise you for your willing death and resurrection on our behalf? We praise you as our King, the one whose name is above every name. Lord, we happily bend our knees before you and worship you. And Spirit, we thank you for your presence in us and with us. And we ask, O oh Spirit, that you would let us be quick to hear your word, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to defend ourselves and jump back and push back at your word. But instead, Lord, help us to receive with meekness this implanted word that is able to save our souls. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. New Hope, we're looking through the book of James walking through chapter by chapter. And last week, we were led to ask this question, how am I responding to God's word? How am I responding to God's word? We finished up chapter one and we saw there three ways that the Lord wants us to respond to his word and keep responding to his word. And if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, this is in part what it looks like for us to live out our faith. James says we must hear God's word, we must receive God's word, and we must do God's word. Hear it, receive it, and do it. That is, we need to attentively listen to him when he speaks to us in his word. Each time we open these pages, each time we come prayerfully to his scriptures, he's speaking to us, and we need to listen to God, and that becomes increasingly difficult in a, in a culture, in a society that's oversaturated with all kinds of competing voices and images and messages that are vying for our attention. But we can't just hear his word, we also need to receive it. That is, we need to accept what he says, willingly take it in and believe it. 
rather than believing the lies and those other competing voices that are sounding out at us all the time. And then lastly, we need to do his word. We need to walk out in obedient response to what God tells us. Hear it, receive it, and do it. And then in the very last two verses of chapter 1 of James, we didn't get to these last Sunday. James gives us just two examples, or really just a couple of examples of what it looks like to do the word of God. A couple of examples of what it looks like to walk in obedience to God's word. And look what he says there. He says, if anyone thinks that he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself untainted or unstained from the world. So he says, bridle one's tongue, that is control one's speech, and care for vulnerable people, namely here, orphans and widows. These are vulnerable people who, who can't pay you back for the help that you give them. And God says, by bridling our tongues, controlling the, our tongues, and by caring for vulnerable people who have no means to pay us back for our love and help, it's two of the ways that we walk in obedience to God's Word. It's not all of what God's Word says, but it's just two examples of what God tells us to do. And, and this isn't, this, if this isn't how you're seeking to live, James says, then your religion is worthless. My religion is worthless if I'm not living this way. And, and religion there, it means my devotion to God. You, the way that you're devoting yourself to God, your worship is useless and empty, he says. The way that you're walking out your faith, that, that's what he means here by religion. It's useless and empty and worthless. But he says doing these things is part, when you do these things, you're actually, it's part of what it takes to remain unstained from the world, unpolluted from the world. And it's not that by doing these things you, you find acceptance with God. If I, if I care enough for vulnerable people, and if I control my mouth enough, I will earn God's favor and find salvation. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that as someone who has already been accepted by God, and as someone who has already been saved by God, here's how God says, live in a way that's different from the world. Control your speech and show concern for people who need help and are vulnerable and weak and unable to help themselves. It's part of how you live in a way that's different from the world around you. And those two examples, they should come as no surprise because the Bible has a lot to say about the way we control our speech. There's a lot to say about the words that come out of our mouths. And Jesus said that it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouths speak. And the Bible also has a lot to say about orphans and widows. And the days in which many of these Many parts of the scriptures were written, really, when all, in the days in which all of these scriptures were written, widows and orphans were extremely vulnerable people, financially and socially marginalized. And God has a, God's heart is for them and for their good. And so James, in, in, in the, as this book goes on, James is going to talk more about both. He's going to talk more about controlling our speech, and he's going to be, talk about more about caring for those who are vulnerable and marginalized. In fact, he begins to do some of that here in chapter 2. Look at what it says at the very beginning of chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See what he's saying here. Don't show partiality. Or don't show favoritism is the basic instruction. And this word for partiality, what it means is to, literally the word would be translated as to be a respecter of persons. 
A respecter of persons is someone who shows partiality. It means that you are, you, when you see someone who has an outward appearance that's impressive, you automatically give respect to that person. You're impressed by something about the way they look. Something about the vibes they give off. Their aura just tells you, man, this person's got power. They've got money. They've got gifts. I want to get next to this person. I better treat this person extra kind. It's favoritism for people who impress us. Or in some cases, it's favoritism for people who are just like us. We like them because they're similar to us. Or sometimes it's, it's favoritism towards those who we stand to benefit from. Getting close to them will help us. Treating them well will bring us some good. And, and the flip side of this partiality is mistreatment for people who aren't like us or who don't really have a way to benefit us or we don't see a relationship with them as being beneficial to us. It's discrimination. It's prejudice. Both positive and negative. And, and it's often based on maybe income or status. That seems to be what's going on here in James 1. It's prejudice based on income or status. It may at times this kind of discrimination may be based on race or gender or religion. And, and what James says is that when you start to show this kind of partiality, you make distinctions like, oh, that person's important enough to get my attention. That person isn't. He says we become judges with evil thoughts. He, he says you're a judge. You're, you're evaluating one another. You're evaluating people and you're passing judgments about whether or not they deserve your attention, your care, your friendship, your time. And this kind of discrimination, it takes many, many, many forms. Like I said before, it may take the form of racism, if it's ethnic or race-based discrimination. It may be religious discrimination. It may be classism that says, I don't have time for you because you're not in the same socioeconomic, you're not in the same, in the, in the same socioeconomic level that I'm at. I wonder if you've ever experienced discrimination in any way. Maybe it was ethnic, maybe it was religious, maybe it was class-driven, who knows, but any kind of discrimination. Maybe you've experienced like soft discrimination, like it's not that bad, but it's just an inconvenience to you. It bothered you. Maybe you just found it kind of ridiculous. I remember one time my family and I, we, 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 um, we were on vacation and we were looking for a pizza place to eat at, and so we go to this pizza place, and it turns out to be a lot fancier than what we thought it was going to be. We thought it was just going to be like a regular pizza joint. It turns out to be like very, um, it just turned out to be really nice. It's filled with like lots of uh, younger people. It's like filled with lots of millennials, like just hanging out together and eat. And, and we show up with like five kids. One of them's crying, and they looked at us, and they're like, we don't have any tables. And I was like, I think I see, and they're like, no, we don't have any tables. And we, we realized that Families of our sort were not welcome there. Pizza probably stunk anyway. So we went somewhere else, and we ate well that night, and we were able to make lots of noise, and it was okay. History is filled with examples of partiality like this, and not silly examples like I've just mentioned, but serious examples. Partiality and discrimination that says, and has said in our own country at times, Others can vote, but you cannot vote because of who you are. Others can sit here, but you cannot sit here. Others can use this entrance. You cannot use this entrance. Use the back one. Others can live in this neighborhood, but you, you're not welcome in this neighborhood. You should live over there where people like you live. Impartiality and discrimination still go on today. What I've been listing there are just some examples of really racism but it's not the only form of discrimination. I was thinking this week about how different, maybe subtler or not, not as clearly obvious practices of partiality. This might sound somewhat controversial, but I, I think about how abortion on demand is an outworking of partiality. 
bear with me here. What, what I mean is that in whether we're talking about race-based discrimination, racial discrimination, or we're talking about abortion on demand, that we're talking about instances where the desires of some are prioritized at great cost to the vulnerable and to the weaker. So in both of these cases, you have people who are in the majority, people who are in, in power, their desires take priority. They have the freedom to do certain things, and in some cases it's legally acceptable for them to do those things, even though it impinges drastically on the needs and the rights of those who have less power. Namely, in one case, racial minorities, another case, unborn children. Both partiality. At an individual level where individuals are making choices, but also at a systemic level where there are, or have been at least, and in fact are now, laws that facilitate and legalize those practices. So partiality is everywhere. In this case that James is talking about, it's in the church. And it's partiality towards ones with wealth, people with status, people with power. Even though the people who are showing partiality to this rich person that comes into the church, the people showing the partiality themselves are largely poor. Most of the people that James would have been writing to would have likely been poor. And that comes out as you read through James 1. Which makes it interesting that you can, ex in fact, James says, why are you showing partiality to the rich when aren't these rich people the ones that drag you into court? Who hurt you and oppress you and try to take what's yours? And, and it strikes me that, that experiencing the bad side, experiencing discrimination doesn't necessarily keep us from practicing discrimination. The people in this community experience discrimination, but we're also practicing it against others who came into, into their assembly. We're all liable to be impressed by others or to give favor, favor to, um, to be, to give preferential treatment to others. Haven't you been impressed by people sometimes just because of where they look or what they've accomplished? You automatically try, to, try to, try to get close to them, maybe. Or maybe you're just even intimidated by their presence. You get nervous around them because they're so important. Have you ever been starstruck? You see someone famous and you don't know what to say. You want to say something, but you're, like, scared. I've, I've told many of you that I've made a vow to never speak to a famous person again. I will never approach a celebrity again because I've had such bad experiences when I've tried to and it's gone horribly wrong. Too starstruck. Partiality comes natural to us. You know why it comes so natural? Because it's self-serving. It, it, it seeks our own... So when we want to be around and we show preferential treatment to people who are like us, it's about comfort, right? I want to be around people who are like me because they make me more comfortable. Or I want to be around people who are like me so that we can establish and protect more power. And it, it feels better to be around people who are like me. Or when we try to get around people who are wealthy and powerful or famous or important, it's because, again, we think that that relationship will benefit us. It will serve me. The relationship's not about serving them. It's about serving me. And that's why it's so common. It's self-serving. It's the way of the world, in fact. The world so often ignores people in need, and it focuses on people in this way. Who can meet my needs? <laughs> Who, who, who amongst you can meet my need for status or approval? My need for advancement? Who can I get next to in the workplace so that I can advance my career? And that's why James says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Un, unpolluted is another way to translate that. Unpolluted by the world. You know, it's possible to, be, to have like a stain on you and not notice it, right? Like something's stained, maybe your teeth are stained or your, your shirt's stained, and, and someone has to point it out because you don't recognize it. It's possible to, uh, to not notice pollution. It feels normal. You can live in a polluted place long enough, it feels very normal. 
But you get out into the countryside, and wow, now you're like, whoa, this is what air is supposed to smell like? Ooh, this is what my lungs are supposed to feel like? This is great. And then you go back into that polluted city, and you feel disgusted by it and bothered by it, and you get sick. Why? It's, it's awful, it's poisonous, it's terrible, and yet when we're around it long enough, it just doesn't seem to bother us. It's awful, but we adapt to it and we become desensitized to it. We lose a sense of how ugly and deadly it is, and that's what partiality is like. It's so common, it's in the air around us. It, 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 it can easily pollute us and we will not recognize it. Until you get around some people who don't show partiality, and, and, and it strikes you as beautiful. <laughs> who, who are willing to give you attention even though you have nothing to offer. Or willing to care for others even though they stand to benefit nothing from it. And, and you start to say, wow, that's like a breath of fresh air. So beautiful, so Christ-like. And this kind of partiality happens amongst Christians. And that's why James says, he starts out here, my brothers... He's saying, my siblings, brothers and sisters, stop showing partiality. Within the church, we can show partiality for all kinds of reasons. Maybe we can uh, show, uh, just be kinder and towards those who are, uh, or more accepting towards those who, I don't know, we like they're smart, they're smart, knowledgeable, maybe because of their looks. When church, maybe because of their giftedness, we see their gifts and we say, oh, this church could benefit from those gifts have this person over, spend some time with this person. Or maybe, you know, just someone just seems agreeable and kind and, and low maintenance. And so we say, oh, I, I gladly go into a relationship with this person. That's comfortable. Of course, the time I'm spending here, I won't have to spend with other people who maybe are a little harder to get along with, more needy. Maybe this person has more giving potential. <laughs> How crass is that, right? So more giving potential. So I, I get to know that person. Church. It, it, the partiality looks so different in so many instances. And I know that I'm talking about many different examples of it, but I just want us to see how, <laughs> how ubiquitous it is. And how it can look different in so many different instances, and it's easy for us to miss it. I was thinking about this earlier this week as I was praying for Agape Youth. I was thinking, why is it easier for some of us, for me, to share the gospel on a missions trip in Namibia than it is here? And I started thinking, why is that? Why is that? And you know what I think it is? I think it's because deep down I'm a respecter of persons. Because I get around kids who are very poor and very needy. They're not impressive in any kind of powerful way. They're not intimidating. They're uneducated. They're poor. And so I find a, a freedom in being able to just be myself and speak the gospel to them. But what about with a colleague in the workplace or a professor or a neighbor who's wealthy and educated and impressive in some way? What, why, why are we likely to, to clamp up and, and quiet down with that person? specter of persons. This person intimidates me. This person, my relationship with this person, I can't put it on the line by speaking the gospel to that person. You see, partiality takes so many forms and it's all normal in the world. And so James says, don't let your mind be polluted by this kind of thinking. Don't let it happen. And then he tells us why. Why not? Why can't we allow this kind of thinking to pollute our minds? James gives us reasons. Thankfully, God just doesn't tell us to do something, and then we ask why, and he says, because I said so. He actually takes the time to explain why. He gives us reasons why partiality is inconsistent with, discrimination is inconsistent with faith in Jesus Christ. And here's why. I'm going to give you four reasons. The first one is this. Your Lord is glorious. Your Lord is glorious. Look at verses, well, verse 1 again. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That can also be translated as the glorious Lord. You see what James is saying here? Your, 
as you believe in our glorious Lord, don't practice partiality. Because your Lord is a being of indescribable glory. And in his presence, none of us is impressive. Even the rich guy who looks glorious in James chapter 2 when he walks into that assembly, he's not impressive in the presence of God. You know, it's the description that James gives us of this rich man who walks into the assembly. He said, you pay attention to the one who wears flying clothing and you say, sit here. In verse 2, he says, a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. Gold ring. You know what that, that the, the, the phrase there for wearing a gold ring, literally? It says a man with gold fingers. A man, with, he's like completely, like he's shining, right? He's, he's iced out, right? He's, he's, he's just coming in with gold all over. And, and, his, and his clothes are fine. They're, they're shiny, brilliant. He looks glorious. But not in the presence of God, he's not. I heard a pastor recently use this illustration. I'm going to share it with you because I, I found it helpful. He says, imagine you're, you're sitting in here in this assembly and uh, your, the, your favorite famous person walks in the door. Whoever it is, maybe a celebrity, maybe, maybe an athlete, who knows, sits next to you. And then a few minutes later, your second favorite celebrity or famous person in the world walks in and sits on your other side. Do, do you think you might be a little distracted during worship that day? You're going to be nervous. What am I going to say? What can, oh, my goodness. Is that really? What? Neymar sitting next to me? What? That's, I was just thinking about my son. But like, you're, who, you fill in the blank. Who is it for you? You're like, whoa, really? Hard to even focus on the worship of God when the two most famous people that you love are right there next to you. But, but what if in the, as that worship service goes on, you have an Isaiah 6 moment where Isaiah says, I, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And he, and he says that his train filled the temple and there was smoke and fire and noise. And he's, he's looking at, he sees for the first time the Lord of glory, high and lifted up. Imagine if we're sitting here and this happens. You will cease to be impressed by the person to your left or the person to your right. You will cease to be impressed by anyone else in this building because you will be in the presence of your glorious Lord. You see, this is one reason why, this one reason why we should not practice partiality because we're all on the same level before a God that glorious. And you know what? It's not just because we're all unimpressive in the presence of God. That's part of the reason. But the other side of that is that each person here was made in the image of God. Equally made in the image of God. That means even the poor guy who walked into that assembly and was told, hey, you sit here by my feet. It's, it basically says you sit here and, and, and be my footstool. It's really degrading. That guy is equally made in the image of God as the guy who comes in with the gold fingers. Doesn't look like it, but he is. And so what James is telling us in part here is that partiality dishonors people who are made in the image of God. Partiality dishonors people who have dignity and worth in God's sight. In fact, we blaspheme the name of God when we dishonor people who are made in his image. It's an offense against God, not just against that poor man. So why is all, all these forms of discrimination and, and, and partiality evil? Why is racism evil? Why, why is it that we can say it is self-evident that all men are created equal? What, what makes that self-evident? The Bible tells us a reason. Because all people are made in the image of their creator God. The imago Dei, the image of God, has been imprinted on each of us. And so... And so, here's one reason we don't practice partiality. We cannot 
Because our Lord is glorious. Number two, there's another reason. Because you were chosen. You were chosen. Look at verse 5. He says there, Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be the rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme and the honorable name by which you were called? God has always chosen a people for himself. What we see from the beginning of the scriptures is God creating, and we see God choosing a people, creating a people for himself by choosing them out of the general population and bringing them in and saying, you are mine, you are my people. And on what basis does he choose people? It's not because he's impressed by them. Deuteronomy 7.7, he says to Israel, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. You were an unimpressive people when I chose you. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul says, consider your call. He's talking to the church. We can say this to New Hope Fellowship. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth when God called you. What kind of people does God choose? He chooses all kinds of people. But he seems to show a particular delight in choosing people who are not wise in the eyes of the world, who are not powerful in the eyes of the world, who are not noble of birth, who are not wealthy. He chooses all kinds of people, but he certainly doesn't discriminate, and he certainly seems to be fine with choosing lots and lots of, how should we say, rejects? I'll put that on me. He chooses rejects like me. I, I want to embrace that. that. That's good news. There's joy in that for me. <sighs> and think about it. Isn't the gospel, even right now as we stand here, the gospel is spreading most rapidly in places where people are poor, where people are needy. That's the majority in the world fall into that category. And that's where the gospel's spreading. You see, there's no favoritism with God. He does not profit from choosing us for himself. Who does Jesus associate with in the gospels? We never see him. Not once do you see Jesus trying to get next to somebody to boost his profile or to improve his ministry or to feel better about himself because he has this important friend. Not once. Because God chooses the least. He chooses the unimpressive. And he loves them. He doesn't choose based on outward appearance. I wonder if when you were in school, you ever experienced, um, were you ever mistreated in school? Maybe, maybe you were mistreated or treated differently because, um, because your, your clothes look kind of shabby. That's James's word, shabby. It, it means dirty, actually, is what he means there. Old hand-me-downs. Maybe you just didn't look right. Your, your, your clothes didn't look crisp. They didn't look, you know, they didn't look clean. Your, your, your sneakers look beat up like they've been through a few too many seasons. And maybe kids would make fun of you about that. And we look at that and we say, that's so childish, isn't it? And, and if it's your kid who's experiencing that, that's, that enrages you. Now imagine, if it enrages us that if our children were to be treated that way, how much more is our holy God enraged by that kind of silly injustice? That kind of uh, judgment with evil thoughts? So, we, we're, we're called away from partiality because one, our God is glorious. And two, because we were chosen. We were chosen by grace not based on anything impressive in us. And then number three, here's another reason. You were called to love. You were called to show love. Look at verse 8. It says here, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall show your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
The law of God makes it very clear that partiality is a no-go with him. In Leviticus 19.18, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just don't show preferential treatment. It's actively love, right? So it's not just don't withhold. It's not, it's not just don't be mean to the person who's different or weaker. No, it's actually love your neighbor, all of them, as yourself. And that's in Leviticus 19.18. It's repeated elsewhere in the scriptures. Jesus himself repeats that law. And it's funny that in Leviticus 19.18, right before God says, love your neighbor as yourself, just a few verses earlier, he's talking about partiality in, in the court systems. He's saying, you shall do no injustice in court. And listen, he says, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Right? So he's saying no partiality in either direction. But instead, judge your neighbor righteously, is what he says. When we start showing partiality, what are we doing? We're judging our neighbors, not righteously, but with evil thoughts, he said. This is the law of God. This is, James calls it, the royal law. The royal law. That means that it's King Jesus' command for us. It's not King Jesus' suggestion for us. It's not King Jesus' um, advice for us on how to live better and more wisely. Jesus is not a consultant. He's a king, right? So he's saying to us, this is how you must live. You must love others as you love yourself. And if we believe that Jesus is king, if we believe that he's king of the universe, then we will want to obey that, won't we? You see, partiality, as we saw, it's self-serving. But love, love is other-focused. Love costs us. Love gives. It doesn't take, it gives. And this is the, the law of love, it is, it is the law, the royal law in God's kingdom, in this, in this weird upside-down kingdom of God, where wealth doesn't make you great. Wealth is not status. No. Jesus says the greatest one is the one who serves best. The greatest one is the one who loves best. When we discriminate, we are so unlike our king. And we are living completely contrary to the law of the kingdom that we claim to belong to. Become the opposite of our king. He's a judge whose thoughts are, are never evil. His thoughts are never clouded by prejudice or selfishness. And his perfect judgment is his perfect wisdom. They're, they're captured in this perfect royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lastly, last reason that we are told not to show partiality. Verse 10 to 13 tells us, you will be judged. We will be judged. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. These words are a little complicated, but James is confronting us with a question here. Implicit in this is a question. How will you judge others? How will you judge others? How will you evaluate others? Partiality makes us judges with, with warped judgment, evil thoughts, right? God is saying, no, we must judge others as those whom ourselves will one day be judged. He's saying, judge other people, judge others, Christians, as people who you yourselves, one day you will be evaluated by God. You will stand before God and be evaluated. And the fact is that this passage evaluates us right here and it tells us that we have all broken his royal law. We're all guilty of it. And, and, and we might say, like, we might say, well, well, I haven't murdered anyone. And James says, but the the same God who said, do not murder, also said, do not commit adultery. How are you doing in that area? 
We might say, well, I've, I've, never, I've never committed adultery. He says, well, he's the same God that also said, do not show partiality. How are you doing in that area? And he said, in fact, that if you've broken one of these laws, you're guilty of breaking them all. It's one unit, the law. That's why it's not laws with, a, with, a, with an S, a plural S at the end. It's law, singular. It's all one law with many different components. You break one component, you've broken the whole thing. Your record is ruined. And the fact is that even if we say we've never murdered, that's not even true because the murderous thoughts in our mind are tantamount to murder. The adulterous thoughts in our minds are tantamount, are equated with adultery. Break one, you break them all. And we will be judged. We will be evaluated. But how will we be evaluated? And here's the good news. Because that last point, you will be judged. That, that's, that, that sounds, that's, that's a scary sentence, isn't it? But here's the good news. King Jesus has kept this royal law. King Jesus kept his own royal law. And he did it all the time. He always loved his neighbor. Never an adulterous thought. Never, never a murderous impulse. He never maneuvered to be seen with someone. He never used anyone. Perfect record across the board. And still, still, this king was willing to be dishonored. He was willing to be dragged into court. He was willing to be judged with evil thoughts. He was willing to, to put on the dirty, shabby clothes of our sins. That's why he did it. That's why he was willing to be dishonored and dragged into court and judged by evil thoughts. He did it for us. So that you and I, if we have believed in him, listen, if you have believed in him, if you see him as the Lord of glory that he really is, and if you submit to him as king, then when you stand before God to be evaluated, all you're going to find is mercy and love. Because your sin was credited to him. And his record, that perfect, pristine record, was credited to you. So that the shiny suit of his righteousness and the beautiful jewelry of his obedience and perfect life, they become yours. So that you can receive mercy. So that when you stand to be judged, and we will all stand to be judged, you will receive mercy because you will be seen by God as righteous because of what Christ has done for you. And that's why for, for you, if you have believed in Jesus, mercy will triumph over judgment for you. How do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? Do you want to be judged based on your own impressiveness? Do you think you're impressive enough? Based on your own record? Lord, who would want to be judged by a holy God based on our own record? No, or do you want to be judged by mercy? By mercy. If we are judged according to our own impressiveness, The things that have impressed others in our lives will not impress God. But God, in Christ, gives us mercy. Ephesians 2.4 says that, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you didn't impress anyone, and I didn't either. By grace, you have been saved. Rich in mercy. And why is he so rich in mercy? It says he's being, he being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. His mercy, his abundant mercy, flows out of his love for us. And so that mercy comes to us. And by grace he saves us. And here's the thing, here's a result, and really this is where it's all heading, but the result is if you, if you get mercy, you show mercy. If you get love, you show love, right? You give because you got so much of it. And that's what, that's what God's calling us to here. Real faith, he says, shows love and mercy towards others without partiality. Without partiality. So why? I'll give you four reasons why we must not show partiality and discriminate and 
show prejudice. Four reasons. And really, they can, we can all be summed up with one word. It's the gospel. It's the gospel because it's in the gospel that a glorious, holy God chose you in love. And he was judged for you. And he gave you mercy. And now he calls you to love. That's his law. He calls you to love. So the question for us is, is, is this how we want to live? Is this how you want to live? Does the gospel compel you to desire that? As I, as I was reading and studying this passage this week and praying over it, there were two burdens that really I felt on my, on my shoulders. One of them is tricky. I feel like it's kind of a little bit of a tightrope because I, I, I'm, I'm, I believe that many people in here are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You love him. He's your king. You struggle with partiality, but your desire, you are compelled by the gospel to show love and mercy. And so the words of God are convicting you, but hopefully they're not, they're, they're not uh, uh, burdening you. They're, they're not just, just discouraging you. Instead, they're calling you. They're the words of invitation, the call of a God who's saying, here's how I'm calling you to live. But I also believe that some here aren't believers. And, and then some of you, maybe you are believers, but your, your faith is weak. And, and I don't want, last thing I want to do is snuff that out. I discourage someone who's weak and is, is wondering, am I really a Christian because I really struggle in this? I don't want to come, you know, you're, you're, the wick of your faith is kind of like it's like burning out. And I don't want to come over and just squash that. But I also don't want to give comfort to those who might be deceived. And think that they're Christians when they're not. And that, that's a challenge. It's, it's a constant challenge. Because really it would be selfish of me to do either of those things. To discourage someone who's weak in their faith is wrong. And for me to comfort or give unjustifiable confidence to someone who isn't a believer but thinks they are. That would also be equally wrong. And I'm accountable to God for that. So, so I think a way forward is just to ask this question of all of us. Do you desire to live in the way that God is calling us to live here? Does the gospel compel you? Do you see Jesus as king, merciful king, full of love and full of grace towards you? And does that compel you to want to love and show mercy to others? And if it doesn't, then... What you need is not to, to try harder to be less racist or less judgmental. What you need is what the rest of us need. You need the gospel. Wherein a glorious holy God will, will freely and willingly accept you based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and he will call you to himself and he'll lead you to live the way he calls us to here. But there's another burden that I carried into, into here today. Um, like I said before, partiality, it's, it's all over our society, right? It's, it's woven into everything in our culture. So th there's part of me that, that kind of wanted to, to, to come in here and talk about our society's sins. You know, some of these, like racism and sexism and, 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 and abortion on demand, as I said before, and the, the, all these other outworkings of, of partiality and discrimination in our society, uh, this, how people who are made in the image of God in our, in our world are being dishonored. They're being pushed to the margins and they're being stripped of, of dignity and, and of their rights. But here's how I believe that God redirected me. He redirected me to think more about What's our problem right here in New Hope Fellowship? Not, not what are the, the, the partiality problems out there in the world, but what are our partiality problems right here? Right? So don't just look out there. Look here. And, and the reason I think the Lord is directing me to think about here is because the way that we live as a community here will shape the way we live out there. And that, that's, that's what I'm trusting. So learning to live well in the community of Christ's body here will shape the way we live outside. And after all, my job is not to speak to society at large. I don't, I don't have that kind of platform, right? Some people do, and they can speak to society at large. Got that big. My job is to speak right here to this church, right? This church, the members of this body, 100 some odd members plus guests and friends, 
We love you. We love the fact that you're here. So the question is, how are we showing partiality? How are we discriminating? Are we discriminating along ethnic lines? Are you discriminating along socioeconomic lines? Is age the thing? Marital status? What are the categories? What are the categories that are, that are shaping the way that you discriminate? Are we really unpolluted by the world when it comes to this? We don't assign seats right here, right? So when someone comes in, we don't say, hey, you look good. Why don't you sit right here? Like they did in James 2. But we do extend invitations into our homes, don't we? And into our lives. Who do we invite? Those who are like us? Those who impress us? Who do we take time to pray for? Who do we carve out time for? Do we have time for the lonely, the less affluent, the challenged? Whose calls do we return most quickly? Whose texts do we return diligently? Who, who do we expend time and energy to get next to? And why? These are questions for us to wrestle with, New Hope. Because love and mercy, obedience to Jesus, this must drive us. Response to the gospel must drive us towards others. Not self-serving selfishness. What can I get? What can they do for me? What can they do for the church? Who do I feel most comfortable around? Now, walking out our faith will make us look like an upside-down community. A community that's free of these pollutants of discrimination and favoritism. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a second. And this table here, it, it captures what we've been talking about. Because this table bread in this cup, it's the great equalizer because none of us sits at the head of this table. None of us comes to this table impressive. We're all equally sinners who have found the grace that we need in Jesus Christ. That's his table. So we're all invited to sit and, and drink with him. And we're coming as a family, right? So, so as you come to this table, look at the others around you and say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's no status differences here. No partiality, not at this table. And this table also captures the judgment and mercy that we find in the gospel. Because when we take that bread and we drink that cup, we're reminded, we are told, the very elements themselves communicate to us the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. That we're broken and spilled so that we can be received at his table. Because of the great love with which he loved us, Jesus was willing to absorb our judgment and he is not embarrassed to eat with us. He is not embarrassed to associate with the likes of us. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, what can we do but thank you for your indiscriminate, <laughs> your grace-filled love for us? We're unworthy. But who has ever been worthy? We love you. And King Jesus, we ask that you would work in us by your spirit to make us like you. And that you would rid us of every last vestige of the pollutants, the stain of partiality. And move us in love and mercy that reflect the mercy and love that we've received from you. In Jesus' name, amen.